You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello, good morning. Welcome to the show. Beginning of a new week. It's Monday the 13th of November. Uh, as I told you before the weekend, I have now left Melbourne, more of which later. I'm now in Bahrain for the rest of this week, which is where this podcast will be coming from mainly. Wherever you have been in the world, however, your first thought this morning will be with jockey Graham Lee, who suffered a fall at Newcastle before the weekend. The Injured Jockeys Fund have released the following statements. Jockey Graham Lee's MRI scan has shown that he has suffered an unstable cervical fracture, causing damage to the spinal cord, as well as damage to blood vessels in the mid-cervical region. He remains in intensive care with respiratory support at the Royal Victoria Infirmary Hospital in Newcastle, but it has been possible to reduce his sedation. This is a very serious injury, and at this time it is not possible to predict the extent of long-term recovery. Graham's family are very grateful for the many messages of support they have had. I have spoken to close friends of Graham Lee this morning. It is very clear that this is a grave and critical situation. Uh, Rishi Passad is with me today. Rishi, not much more than can be added, save to say that the entire racing community is showing its its support uh, for Graham and wishing him all the very, very best. Correct. Um, there is not much more to add to that statement other than uh, I'm sure myself, you and everybody who is involved in the sport um, will feel hollow this morning, uh, feel concern and will be willing to do whatever we can uh, to help uh, Graham and his family at what must be an awfully difficult time for them. Um, Obviously, the statement that you've just read out, one that a lot of us have already seen, um, suggests that exactly what it says, that this is an extremely grave situation. um, And and we all hope for the best outcome in, in, in Graham's recovery. Uppermost in our minds, of course, Graham's wife, Becky, and his children, his many friends, other members of his family. And I know that the Injured Jockeys Fund and Dr. Jerry Hill have been an immense source of support to uh, to Graham's family over the last couple of days. Okay, news has just broken that August Rodin, the Derby winner, the Irish Derby winner, the Irish Champion Stakes winner and the Breeders' Cup Turf winner, would indeed stay in training as a four-year-old. This was teased by MV Magna in the immediate aftermath of the Breeders' Cup, and it has indeed come to pass, uh, which I'm sure is to the delight, uh, Aidan O'Brien, of you and all your team. Yeah, no, absolutely, uh, Nick. Uh, delighted, um, absolutely, and I'm sure, listen, uh, really looking forward to, to having them for next year now. I mean, I could go through a litany of really talented three-year-olds who haven't been kept in training, and they're just too valuable. What do you think... Um, made them decide that that this this might be a good idea. Actually, I, I suppose I, Nick. I suppose he's, he's like obviously he's a unique horse. He's a once-off. Um, um, uh, listen, he 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 kind of uh, he was a precocious at two, which which you wouldn't uh, you would forgive him if he wasn't. And uh, obviously, then we saw what he did last year. And uh, um, I think listen, I think the lads are really enjoying the racing more than ever before. And um, um, and uh, listen, he, he looks like a horse could um, 
like could be something very like we always thought he's very excited and and was that two and three but and could be even more again next year you know so um it's it's this year listen it's, it's unbelievable for us and i think everybody else i, I think uh, everyone in racing and everyone that's um uh, follies racing and race horses you know so it, it's it's really the perfect result really for us no, it's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic for all of us. I think that he's that he's staying in training. To what extent were you informed by by his well being when he came back from California? Did he did he take his race particularly well? Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest factors. Like he he came out of the race super, um, and, and we had to wait and see how that was. And uh, like he's he's like he's, out, he's absolutely bouncing uh, since he came back. Um, like I said, Andrew was over the moon with him. Uh, Rachel rides him over the moon with him, you know. So all the all the um, all the bots kind of just joined up when that happened. Really, um, Aiden, do you have any idea where you might start him off, or, or what the early part of next year might look like? No, I suppose first of all, obviously, we have to give him a little rest now, and uh, which would we always would do, uh, especially with a, a three-year-old after having the season that he has had, and. Uh, and then listen, we'll start back then and, and see where it brings us really. But like obviously every kind of I think every race is open to him for next year really. Um but we'd start back and uh, get into the spring and then see where he is or how he is, you know, and then but like and, and plan a campaign from then. But he like unusual about him he's probably nearly most races are open to him really. I, t- I tell you what, this time next year, I'll be um, I'll be asking you wh- when he's going to take on City of Troy. I suspect you'll be you'll be having to ask answer those sort of questions. Yeah, listen, it'll be interesting. Look, obviously, it's a long ways away, but um, this time we'll see what the lads want to do and see how the horses are. But like, it would be something uh, like like for us, it's it's very exciting to have him really, Nick. You know. And that just finally, Aiden, that that comment you made about the dirt last week, and then I put it to MV after that. It, is that in your back of your mind, a Breeders' Cup Classic? Uh, so listen, uh, like I say, every race is open to him, Nick, um, but we were very surprised the way he was floating around on the dirt um, with the other horses in, 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 in his works. You know, he was just uh, finding it totally effortless. Um, and uh, like I say, Andrew was delighted with the way he was coming back and, and passed from his canters and, and Rachel riding him every day was over the moon with him as well. And he was just gliding and floating, um, really, you know. So... Um, um, like obviously, it definitely will be an option for him, um, but we'll see. We we'll get him back going first and see then. But uh, it was unusual if you watch his canters, uh, especially the second last, like the way he was he was travelling through us and on it. Aiden, thanks for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Aiden. Thank Cheers. You. Okay, before the weekend, we brought you the latest on the uh, case, the slightly mysterious case of Milton Harris, the trainer. Uh, who had had two runners declared not qualified by the BHA before the weekend. And we asked various questions, which we couldn't get answers to at the time. Uh, Milton Harris felt that there would be a decision made by Friday evening. It didn't come. It did come Saturday morning when the British Horse Racing Authority released the following statement. Following a hearing before the chairperson of the independent judicial panel of the BHA, Mr. Harris's licence has been suspended pending a licensing committee hearing in January This is as a result of a breach of the conditions on his license and related matters. The BHA said they would not be commenting any further on this case or any aspect of it until uh, the hearing in January and beyond. Milton Harris himself uh, has uh, been in touch today. Um, I asked whether there was any indication whether the horses 
that he trained could find a way of running in the interim, perhaps for another trainer or under another license holder, and indeed what the immediate future was for the staff in his yard. He said that he wished at some point to comment, but couldn't uh, comment appropriately at present. He said that they were trying to find a solution to allow the horses to run pending the hearing, but if they don't find that solution and they cannot, with the BHA, agree on a solution, he said, we will have no alternative but to, to close down. Now, clearly, Rishi, we don't know the circumstances mm. of the case. There's been plenty of speculation, but we do not know. Nobody will confirm what those circumstances are. But in this interim period, you would hope that there is a way that horses can either be relocated, mm. uh, allocated to a trainer within the same stable, mm or uh, some such solution so that th there isn't too much collateral damage for people who are not involved. Yeah, you you highlighted a, a couple of points there, Nick, that are most pertinent. Obviously, mystery is the word that surrounds it. There's no more information than what you've already uh, explained surrounding um, Milton Harris's uh, current suspension of his license. Um, yeah, the, the, the key point in the immediacy of things, obviously that has to be sorted with the BHA, but we can't comment on that. The BHA aren't commenting. Uh, and Mil Milton Harris is also finding it understandably inappropriate to, to make comments. So makes us, uh, makes it very difficult to, to have a, an idea of specifically what's going on. But what we do know is that he obviously looks after a number of horses, a number of horses that uh, would probably have had um, important targets in the next week or so, perhaps even at Cheltenham. Um, and if there, there was some way of, as you say, maybe relocating the horses or moving his license on to another individual in enough time, that might be an option. But um, there are a number of issues at play. Obviously, um, whatever it is that is uh, Milton Harris is currently being uh, investigated or at least being potentially charged with, um, that's that's a priority but also looking after the horses and the staff the owners and all the people that are involved with the yard uh has to be high on the list of priorities as well yeah and this is a, a quite a big concern as well there's quite a lot of people and in and horses involved in this case again more to follow shall we talk about racing over the weekend We'll start perhaps with racing in Ireland. Jerry Colomb making a winning seasonal reappearance in a thrilling race for the Ladbrokes champion chase at, at Down Royal, beating three horses with pretty heavily decorated CVs in a in a wonderful, wonderful finish. I, I, how high up your Gold Cup pecking order is he after that? He's high primarily because I see him as an out-and-out stayer, and I feel that perhaps the Gold Cup, more than anything else, would suit him. Um, certainly in that champion chase uh, at Dan Royal, it appeared maybe between the second last going down to the last that he was just being outpaced by slightly quicker horses, Conflated and Voy Allen. Um, but then in the last half a furlong, his stamina is kicking in over three miles and soft ground, leading you to believe, like it always had, all, all his performances seem to suggest that the, the further he goes, the more stamina test he is required of him the better he will perform and whilst overall you think a neck defeat of envoy allen and uh conflated it, it's a good enough performance is it a galloban de champ performance um i'm i'm more convinced about his gold cup prospects than were he to go anywhere else but i note that he's likely to only have one more run 
before the Gold Cup. Um, I, I think he's a strong contender for the Gold Cup just because of, I mean, you know as well as I do, Nick, that last run from the last fence to the line, it's where horses are, you know, exposed. Their frailties are exposed in that run to the line. I feel he might relish it. Yeah, I mean, that's where you look at a horse like Brave Man's Game, for example, a horse I, I absolutely adore and who ran mm. a wonderfully brave race in it last year. But he was just, you felt he was just out-muscled and outstayed by Galapando Shaw last year. And it's hard to see how that gap gets bridged. That's it. The, the, the beauty about the Cheltenham Festival test is that when it comes to the final furlong of those races, nor, invariably they're, they're truly run and you really have to stay every single yard of it. I know that that's a cliche, but some races you can smuggle your way around on other tracks, on flatter tracks, uh, and get away with perhaps not quite seeing out a trip, but not at Cheltenham, not at the festival. Um, and I, fe I feel that that test is more in keeping with a Jerry Colomb than perhaps a Brave Man's Game, who, as you said, is a terrific racehorse. But that last 150 yards of the Gold Cup it's where horses do get exposed. It's where, you know, that that if you haven't if you're missing a slight piece of the weaponry needed to be a Gold Cup champion, that's where you get exposed. And I think um Jerry Colomb probably has a little bit more up his sleeve than yeah. one or two other leading contenders. I spoke to Gordon Elliott on Friday and he was looking forward to Dan Royal. I bet he was. He trained eleven <laughs> winners over the two days, a six timer and a five timer, many of whom were partnered by Jack Kennedy. It struck me that one, would Elliot pose a bigger threat to Mullins this year or was this simply the phony war before Mullins actually got most of his armoury uh, going? Uh, and two, to what extent is Kennedy going to be a, a massive weapon for Elliot if he can keep himself fit and with no broken bones? Uh, to the former question, um, I think it's probably more a case of a phony war. I believe that the Mullins runners were pretty light uh, in numbers uh, over the weekend uh, in comparison to what they're likely to be later on in the season. Um, but to the latter point, I think Jack Kennedy is a terrific rider. I mean, I I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know anyway. Um, as long as he can stay fit, I think Jack Kennedy has the potential to belong amongst the elites that we've waved goodbye to, the McCoys, the Walshers, the Gerrities. I think that uh, Jack Kennedy has everything in his, in his makeup as a rider to enter that company um, sooner rather than later, I would suggest, given the, the opportunities and the options he's going to have over the next few years. Yeah, I would agree. Um, we've talked about phony war in terms of trainers' championships and good horses running at this early stage of the season with Paul Nichols several times before, <laughs> but invariably goes on and becomes a champion trainer. I feel it against quite a lot of his runners at Wincanton on the weekend. More fool me. He's been here <laughs> before. He did it again with a four-timer. Um, Napa's Hill being particularly impressive, but Rubo wasn't too bad either. No, and Rubo, uh, Paul Nichols was waxing lyrical about what a chaser Rubo is going to be next year. That's going to be the plan. Um, but as he's pointed out, something has got to finish behind Constitution Hill and all the races he runs. So he'll head straight to the Christmas hurdle uh, after winning the Elite on the weekend. He's very good. He is very good, but of course, a four and a bit length defeat of, of Hansard isn't going to win you a champion hurdle, isn't going to win you the big races. But there is a dearth of competition behind Constitution Hill. And a horse like Rubo, who is improving, uh, who clearly is uncomplicated, he's quick over his hurdles, um, he can pick up a lot of prize money in behind a horse like Constitution Hill. Like you, I was really impressed with Napper's Hill, Nick. I, I love the way he jumped. The progression from Chepstow to win Canton 
was terrific. He was neat and nimble. Um, I'm excited by what he might do over fences domestically. Um, interesting reaction to some of the racing at Aintree over the weekend. We had issues with low sun again, and we also had a, a little bit of an issue with, with Grand National Course, it seems. Uh, Matt Chapman quoted a couple of unnamed jockeys in his sun column today uh, talking about the, the size of the fences uh, from Aintree. He was quoted one jockey as saying, I thought they rode small in the Grand Sefton. I think it's going to be a bit terrifying if we ever get them on good ground. They're too straightforward. I honestly think the Marbmay course is harder to jump around than the Grand National fences right now. Right, I put in a call to head of Racing Northwest, at the Jockey Club and at Aintree Racecourse to Lake Obama, and asked her about the composition of the Grand National fences and asked them whether there was any uh, meaningful difference in size from meeting to meeting, or indeed since 2013. Uh, yes, so there are some very slight alterations um, between what we, we would run in the autumn to how we would build them in April, uh, mainly because of uh, where the beacher start is. So they, they jump fence 10 as the first in the beacher. So therefore, that is a couple of inches smaller than it would be um, in for the uh, three days of the Grand National meeting. Um, but on the other side, fences one and two, so the first two fences after uh, the Melling Road, are actually slightly bigger than they would be for the Grand National. Um, Grand National, obviously, they are the first and second fence in the race, so we build them slightly smaller. So there are there are small alterations, but it, generally it's no more than a couple of inches. Just reading the, the column that Matt Chapman wrote in the Sun today, quoting a couple of the riders that were in the, in the Sefton at the, at the weekend... Is there anything in, in the idea that they're any different now in terms of packing, substance, height to how they were in 2013, the year after which the major easy fix adjustments were made? No, uh, the, the construction is, is exactly the same. And actually, the, the construction is is very similar to when the uh, wooden cores were still there. Um, the the pieces of spruce, the branches are are sort of snapped in half, and the 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 how would you describe it? The branch end is then slotted right down into the easy fix. Um, they've got they've got grooves through the top. Um, it would have been slotted down into the into the wooden posts in the past, and then the rest of the spruce is once those initial layers have gone up, the rest is then is then laced in to make up the height. So, so no, the 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 style of build has has been unchanged for many years now. Can we talk about the low sun? Um, obviously, it's the second fixture that was was blighted by the low sun. What's the protocol there, Saleka? Um, so when there are concerns that the, the low sun is either obscuring the uh, jockeys and, and horses' view of the obstacles or creating a significant shadow on the takeoff side of, of an obstacle, um, the BHA stewards will ask um, usually a, a senior jockey who's perhaps not riding in the race if there's one available. Uh, they'll often be one of the um, PGA safety officers, if possible, um, to actually go down onto the course and have a look and report back just before the race whether they are they are comfortable with the state of play. Um, the jockeys who are riding in the race will often also have a look on their way to post um, and will communicate with the starter if they have any concerns. Um, that process is then that the starters will report back to the stewards and the stewards will then tell me, the clerk of the course, that they uh, they want the, the obstacles to be bypassed and we then implement that procedure. So really you are effectively executing the orders of the regulator 
Uh, yes, I mean it's a it's a recognised and agreed procedure amongst um, the the various stakeholder bodies in the industry. It's, it's actually a procedure that was formalised, I think, maybe only four, five, six years ago. Um, but it is a it is a recognised procedure, and 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 we follow that. And given the last couple of meetings, is there any thought of moving the race times to try and counterbalance it? Yeah, we do look at it. Um, one of the, the the tools that it's very useful that we we have these days that you may not have had um, so 20, 30 years ago is is being able to use Google Earth Pro. Um, you can on that we can sort of position your yourself as such at any point on the course and track the sun through the day at any point of the year. Um, as we saw on Saturday, actually there was no point in the day when the, the jockeys were happy to jump. Uh, the obstacles which obviously does make things more difficult when it's an issue throughout the day Mm. and is there anything more that can be done to give the punters more advanced notice of the possibility of um, fences being emitted through low sun I think that's one of the common complaints isn't it that they don't know until they're right down at the start yeah so um, in the last few years there has been an addition to uh, the going reports for all jumps courses there's a a sort of switch that we can we can flick as a as a uh, clerk giving a going report that automatically puts an alert on that race day, um, and the words will appear on the going report that um, low sun may result at obstacle emission at this fixture. Um, so that that should really be advertised by any race course who knows that they they can potentially have a problem. All right, that was Saleh Kavama, uh, and you know, as you can see there, there, there are one or two minor adjustments as regards fences based on where the starts are, but fundamentally they've not changed since the easy <laughs> fix cause came in uh, all those years ago, uh, despite how it might have felt to various jockeys on Saturday. The perhaps more, more pressing issue is the low sun issue. I think that's going to mm. be vexing more people, Rishi. And it, <laughs> the race courses are... They've got slightly got their hands tied here unless unless they move all the races much earlier because they can't move them later because of darkness. Um, I, I, because, because it's a, a regulator and jockey agreed protocol and the stakeholders mm. have signed up to that protocol, their hands are tied. Now, race courses could try and not sign up to that protocol, but I'm not sure where we'd be left left then. I think that'd be very awkward when we are trying to work together to come up with a suitable outcome. And if we we were to we were to leave one particular uh, body to act unilaterally, it would be it would be leading down the the wrong path. When we're trying to come up with a collective agreement, I, I, I'm af- I'm afraid it f- it feels like, as you say, racecourses' hands are tied. Um, I, I understand frustration from a punter's point of view that you know. You think you think of all the races that have their complexion changed by the emittance of hurdles or fences, um, and that obviously was in effect at, at Aintree on on Saturday. Um, but what what other options are they? You can't you can't allow people to go out. You know you couldn't allow racecourse officials to go out without the the benefit of the riders' knowledge, those who are taking part, and also those sitting on a horse taking part. So it is an awkward situation. Uh, I'm afraid that at the moment, um, it, I, I can't see how races can start much sooner that it will allow enough races to take place in the correct light. Um, so I, I, I fear that we, we might have this continuing spate for the foreseeable future. Now, just got news 
breaking. Harry Bentley has been suspended for two months and fined £32,000 after pleading guilty to improper conduct in Hong Kong. You'll remember we brought you this story before the weekend and he was getting his legal team uh, prepared. I don't have any further details at this stage, just reading Peter Scargill's piece in the Racing Post. He pleaded guilty to improper conduct with stewards detailing in their report that he'd engaged in inappropriate communication about horses he was riding with persons not associated with the horses. Uh, in addition, Bentley was found to have provided false or misleading statements when interviewed by jockey club officials on October the 31st. His guilty plea uh, was taken into account when determining his suspension and uh, his license drive suspended for two months uh, and a sum of 300,000 Hong Kong dollars. Well, the fact that Harry Bentley has pleaded guilty, I mean, the first reaction is, A, you know wherever you are in the world, it's improper conduct. Um, but also, Hong Kong are particularly severe, strict, you know, two months, £30,000, I think it's 300000 Hong Kong dollars um, for what Harry Bentley has admitted to. Um, I, think, I believe someone provided him with a private phone uh, if in order for him to send information about horses that um, he'd ridden, you know that this this is against the rules. I find it hard to understand, um, you know, especially when you're in such a, a, a jurisdiction where the the penalties are so severe. Um, how you could even contemplate engaging in that? But you know, he's admitted to it. He's been punished. Hopefully, it's one that he will learn from and and not get involved with again. Okay, continue with Matters International now and the Bahrain International Trophy that takes place here in Bahrain on Friday has drawn its best ever field with a significantly increased prize fund. Runners include the defending champion uh, from Saeed bin Saru's yard, Dubai Future, but he's got a bunch of his own Godolphin mates to take him on, including Real World. Group one performer, Highland Avenue, back to form at Newmarket last time for Charlie Appleby. And Appleby's nation's pride will almost certainly be favoured for the race. A horse who was second in the Breeders' Cup turf last year, but has been earmarked for this from a, a long way out. Joining them are Astro King for Dan and Claire Kubler, Cambridgeshire winner. Local horses, uh, Calif uh, and also Carder. Um, significant runners from the UK Isra the Princess of Wales is winning for John and Thady Gosden in the Shadwell Silks for, for Jim Crowley also Spirit Dancer for Richard Fahey and Asheen Orr from Ireland Joseph O'Brien's Group 1 winner Above the Curve from France the classic winner Mahaba Ya Sanafi all in all a pretty spicy race uh, add in Lafayette for Noel Mead as well and a, a broad range of stables broad range of interest from across Europe and genuine Group 1 calibre horses in what is now an international Group 2 run for a million. That's in Bahrain on Friday. As I said, I've just come from Melbourne, in case you hadn't gathered. Uh, Champions Day on uh, Saturday, Champions Stakes Day. It was a, a wonderful day's racing as well. Pride of Jenny making history by winning two Group 1 races at the uh, Melbourne Cup Carnival within a week, both under brilliant front-running rides from Irish-born jockey Declan Bates, uh, that one stealing the headlines. Many of the headlines dominated by Damien Oliver and his continuing retirement tour, and he really is retiring, I think. Um, but if you're looking to next year into Royal Ascot, then look no further than Imperatriz, this Kiwi sprinting mare who might just have pretensions to being the best sprinter in the world now with a, a fluent victory uh, up the straight course 
over 1,200 metres at Flemington. I put in a call to our New Zealand correspondent, Michael Guerin, to see what he made of it and what uh, her aspirations might be now. Well, Nick, I thought she was no more impressive than she was when winning the start before at Mooney Valley. But, of course, a slightly better field. A couple of the Everest horses there had a good talk to Opie Bosson, who said she was getting tired near the line. But as we look a long way forward to Royal Ascot next year, of course, she now has her first straight track win. It is going the other way, so you are leading off on a different type of leg, and it's obviously a different type of race to Royal Ascot. But I think after talking at length to trainer, to managing owner David Ellis and Opie, there are aspirations for Royal Ascot next year, but a lot of questions around those aspirations. In order, Nick, the questions are, well, is it worth it financially for a mare as opposed to what could potentially become a dual hemisphere stallion? Obviously, no. Secondly, the money is enormous in Australia and she'll be at the top of every slot holder's hit list for the Everest at $20 million next October. No reason you can't win both, but if you're aiming for 20, maybe the 2 million at Ascot on the Saturday doesn't excite you quite so much. And David Ellis, who is the managing owner of the behemoth, which is Tiakau Racing, by far and away the biggest racing organisation in New Zealand, is spreading his wings into Australia. And they are doing a lot of syndicating and getting a lot of horses. They're going to have 40 horses at Cranbourne shortly. And they may say to themselves, do we get the same kudos and the same increase to our ownership base by going to Ascot where everybody wants to go? And David and Karen, his wife, were there last year. So when you've been to Ascot, you get the buck. But do you get the same ownership boost? Do you get the same money? Do you get the same attention for going to Ascot and winning as you do winning the Everest or a couple more Group 1s in Melbourne for that Australian base? I think they want to go to Royal Ascot, Nick. Do I think they go deep down inside knowing them? I think we're 70-30 no at the moment, but I do think it's a far bigger chance than it would have been two weeks ago. Well, we can talk about jump racing wherever you want and wherever you want in the world uh, all morning, but you're not going to find a more impressive performance than the one put up at Otoy over the weekend by Ile Francais. We've covered the horse several times on the podcast before, but I want to check in again with his co-trainer, Noel George, who handles this horse with Amanda Zetterholm. Wow, he was impressive yesterday, Noel. I got a chance to catch the replay on the flight on the, on the way back, and uh, just, uh, even by his standards, that looked very, very good. Um, how impressed were, were you and the whole team? Um, yeah, no, obviously we're over the moon with his performance. Um, we've always said he's a he's a real chaser in the making, and I think yesterday stepping up um, on heavy ground over a further trip, he's really shown his true class, um, and there's lots to look forward to. There's heavy ground and there's heavy ground, um, and sometimes with the going descriptions in France, we're not really sure what it is. Was it genuinely what you would have called heavy in the UK? Yeah, no, yesterday it was a uh, properly deep ground james james reevely said um you know they were they were almost taking full steps it was very very deep and i mean he he made it nearly look like it was good ground so it was all very impressive uh, a lot to look forward to with them yeah absolutely so if it's a wet winter in in britain that is going to perhaps um decide on on how often you you come over uh, over here is that right or over to over to the uk um for me he's probably a horse that would be 
he he's got such a high cruising speed and such a good jumper. I think on a little bit better ground, he's nearly better, but he's very adaptable as well. So um, I think the main aim now is uh, Campton on Boxing Day uh, in the Corso Star, and then we'll kind of make a plan after that. <laughs> of course, the other beautiful thing is that he's completely unexposed to any sort of a of a trip. Um, is there any bottom to his stamina? Do you think? Uh, well, obviously, our main aim to, in France is to win a French Gold Cup, which is over three and a half miles. Mm. So we've kind of been training him accordingly. Of course, he's got a, a very high cruising speed, so he's exuberant. But we've had to kind of contain that as well, so the stamina is not going to be an issue. I, I would say um, we'll try Campton, and then whether he, whether he would go to the festival this year is and obviously probably be more of a two and a half mile horse for the moment just just finally no you've been involved in lots of very high class horses um that your father's trained over the years and you, you've seen high class horses elsewhere where you've worked what separates this one do you think from just the very good ones um i mean i dad was over yesterday and we were discussing it driving back to shanti in the car after racing and for me He's definitely the best jumper I've been associated with. Um, he's just got so much natural class. Um, I mean, every day on the gallops, you know, he's just doing a half speed and the others are flat out to try and keep up with him, if that makes sense. He's just, everything is so effortless. Um, and obviously the way he jumps as well, it takes your breath away. Well, we can't wait to see him in uh, in the UK. Noel, thanks so much for your time. Well done again. No worries. Thanks. Thanks, thanks. thanks. Well, horse racing in the United States got a an unusually high-profile airing from its highest-profile current affairs and and documentary series, 60 Minutes, on CBS on Sunday evening. I think um, plenty of the um, sports practitioners and those who watch it on a day-to-day basis uh, switched on with some degree of of trepidation. Jay Pridman, our old friend, uh, long-time, much-renowned horse racing journalist, joins me now from California. Jay, you you watched this. What was your assessment of 60 Minutes? What what do you think was their, their goal here? Well, it seemed that the goal was to try and uh, initially, it seemed, show that Heisa or Haiwu and or Haiwu have come along and there's a new sheriff in town. But there was a lot of sensationalistic aspects to the piece. Um, You know, much of it obviously is true and very sobering. Uh, But there's also sort of an, an element of it that I think is not as as balanced as uh as a fair-minded examination of the issues would warrant. I saw quite a bit of social media commentary saying, oh, well, that could have been worse. Does that say something about where people in the industry think we are in terms of our own confidence in the sport? Yeah, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but it was, you know, it wasn't great to begin with. Uh, You know, there were a number of videos shown of of horses breaking down, and, and some of it was... Uh, germane to what was being shown but some of it was sort of making it appear as though they were because of medication issues that was sort of the inference of of showing them and and as far as i know of the incidents that were shown all the the ones that were uh done and and, and the most high profile which would have been the having a meltdown incident on the preakness undercard you know the animals that were uh, necropsied post uh, those incidents did not have illegal medications in them. In a lot of cases, this is the kind of thing where 
depending on what you think of how this whole situation has been portrayed or usually is portrayed, you're probably going to feel like you did before the piece uh, that it, I don't know that it was going to change any hearts and minds. Otherwise people are, uh, have their opinions as to how this has played out. There was, there was one thing that I really did find disturbing in the piece though. You know, one of the main sources of it is Stuart Janney, who's the chair of the jockey club and, you know, he and the jockey club rightly deserve to be commended for having five stones uh, investigative people come along and it was their wiretaps that caught people like Jason Service and, and Jorge Navarro. But there was a quote from Janney in the piece that said that when he had five stones uh, uh, hired and asked them to, to go after people, he said, I wanted them to go after people that I thought was cheating and that's a kind of a chilling thing i think to hear that it was sort of he was sort of picking and choosing who they would go after and by inference who they didn't go after and i'd really like to know subsequent to all this from the jockey club you know who and or five stones who were some of the people that you did wiretap who you found out actually were not doing anything wrong but you suspected they were that to me would be something that I think would be an appropriate thing to reveal at this juncture. Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, not only will the people have opinions on that and this program, and before I, I leave you, um, Jay, many people have expressed opinions on two more Breeders' Cups in succession at Del Mar. Now, this is a home game for you times two, so I'm, <laughs> I'm probably talking to the wrong person. Uh, what do you make of it? Well, look, overall, Nick... It's always best when I think the Breeders' Cup moves around to different jurisdictions. Uh, in the specific case of 2025, I think the Breeders' Cup just ended up in an unfortunate situation where there's going to be construction going on at Keeneland that takes them out of the running. There's going to be construction going on at Belmont Park still with their uh, refurbishing uh, that's going to take them out of the running. I think Churchill Downs was considered the lead candidate to get it in 2025 and there were there were problems that arose in the negotiations between the breeders cup and churchill downs in terms of quite frankly from what i'm uh told and i'm told from people who i completely believe that it centered around who churchill downs thinks should be able to compete at their racetrack and who they don't and the breeders cup saying we don't have a problem with certain individuals or individual that you think uh, shouldn't run at your track and we're not uh, that's not something that we have a problem with and Churchill Downs was like well in that case we'll take a pass that's interesting so that that whole Churchill Downs Baffert thing is even extended as as far as this um allegedly uh so Delmar two years in a row it is however a fantastic place to go horse racing that's wonderful. And there have been, you know, we've had two successful Breeders' Cups at Del Mar so far. And, uh, and now it'll be hopefully two more in, in, in 24, which we knew was going to happen in 24. And now uh, it turns out in, in 25. And, and, you know, look, specific to what we I just alluded to, I mean, obviously Baffert is the, the current situation regarding Churchill Downs. but And, and Churchill Downs has extended their... Uh, uh, banning of Baffert another year through the, the 24 Derby. So if in fact they're saying not until 25, I, I, I think we know where this might be headed uh, in the future, but it also might be 
Nick, in the case of Churchill Downs, that they want to retain the right for anybody else for them to be able to say yeah. we don't want them. Uh, you know, they've they've set this precedent with Baffert, but they might want to have the the option if there's somebody else in the future. Uh, but it's my understanding that that was a major sticking point, and and thus the reason that there was a, a fracture between those parties. Well, as we told you before the weekend, we're barreling headlong into a season of breeding stock sales, mares and foals. We talked about the scepter sessions at Tattersall's. There's the foal sale to look forward to as well, the December foal sale. And we have on this podcast before um, brought you pretty much the comprehensive story of, of Suelita, uh, the dam of Chaldean and many other illustrious performers uh, who was bought from the December mare sale uh, for 21,500 guineas and headed to Whitsbury and the rest is history. Ed Harper from Whitsbury is on the line now because Ed, this family and this story is a thread that runs through this Tattersall's uh, Scepter Sessions breeding stock sale, foal sale uh, for all sorts of reasons this year. Just tell me why. Yeah, well, the Suelita has just uh, given so uh, given us so many highlights. Uh, the 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 sale highlight, uh, well, or multiple highlights. We the, the first we we sold Alchemate um, as a foal there, uh, uh, the showcasing out of Suelita, who went on to win the Mill Reef, and then uh, when. Uh, we were taking the Frankel out of Suelita to the sale. I made a, you know, a bit of a, a, a comment to, to people and, and, and media that I thought he was the best foal we'd ever, which we'd ever taken to a foal sale. So it's nice when they, you know, when, when the ones you shout about uh, go and be good to, to go and win a Dewhurst and a 2000 guineas. Perhaps we didn't know he was that nice, but um, yeah, it's surely just done us great things at the fall sales, and um, yeah, we're choosing to sell Get Ahead at the Scepter sale, uh, which is which is a really difficult decision for us, but but one we've decided to take. Oh, so Get Ahead is a half sister to to um, Alcumate and and Chaldean. Okay, so I'm guessing how, how do you how do you balance that out? What, what what's making you sell her? Well, we've gone round in a million circles, and uh, who knows whether I'm right or not. But you know, we are the sort of commercial commercial outfit in the country. We, we've always got to be that. You know, it's taken us 50 years of, of hard graft to get to this position, and, and we've always got to keep our, our feet on the ground. Um, you know, she she this is the perfect time to sell her. If ever we were going to sell her, she'd she'd either make the perfect mate for Frankel being a, a half-sister to Chaldean. Or I, I think there's lots of juice left in her as a filly in training. She, she's improving and improving. Clive Cox said to me he still thinks she's getting better. Her last two runs in Group 1s were her best runs. So perhaps she's um, got lots of value left in her to race. So this was the time we had to make the decision. There's a, there's a bit of land come up locally to us down the road, which land never comes up around here. So if, it, if we can put some money towards, uh, you know, buying that then then it's an opportunity we can't miss uh, and then you might have another contributor to that um, that land purchase as well if uh, alcumate's full brother chaldean's half brother uh, realizes what you think he might as lot 965 in the december foals 
Yeah, he's the spitting image of Alchemate. Um, he he really is an, an early looking sort. If uh, if somebody wants to buy themselves a foal to win a, a two year old group race, then I can't think of another one. Uh, you know that I could recommend, recommend better. Uh, he's he's got the biggest backside you'd ever like to see on a foal. Uh, so can't wait to take him. And uh, yeah, we 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 just you know look after Suelita as best as we absolutely can and um, you know she uh, now we're, we're, we're sort of tossing up what the, what the plan is her for next year and, you know potentially she might be going to, to Havana Gray next year which would be very exciting for us well he's deserved it I mean if I'd said to you when you got Havana Gray you'll be putting your absolute blue hen to him in no time at all what would you have said that is pretty nuts I, I didn't I didn't think she'd be coming <laughs> You know, coming, you know, showcasing. She's produced Get Ahead and Alchemate by showcasing. I didn't think she'd be coming to Havana Gray quite so quickly, but um, we've just been absolutely uh, overwhelmed with interest for him. Um, you know, we've we've actually had to shut his book now. It's it's been so busy. It's 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 been sort of the nicest problem to have you could imagine. But yeah, Suelita will we'll get a shot if that if that's where we choose to go with her. Ed, such exciting times ahead as ever. Thanks so much for sharing the story with us. All right, thanks to all my guests today. Rishi Passad is still with me and has a tip for you for today. I am going to put forward Soaring Glory, Nick, in the three o'clock at Kempton today. You may well remember that he was third to Epitant in the Christmas hurdle uh, a couple of years ago. He's running off a mark in the mid-130s today. Um, I'm hoping that uh, it's, it's going to prove generous. Rishi, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Um, news again, just just dropped here. A, a statement from the BHA, Julie Harrington, concerning Graham Lee. Uh, the British Horse Racing Authority says, we are shocked to hear the distressing news regarding the injuries suffered by Graham Lee. Our thoughts are with his family and friends, and the whole sport is praying for one of its finest ambassadors. We're doing everything we can to support Graham and his family, and we ask that everyone respect the privacy of his family at this time. Uh, we would echo those sentiments and we will see you again tomorrow. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.